Athletes, take your mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Thank you all so much for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. Greatly appreciate you doing so. Jump on. Give us a review. It helps this podcast move further. It helps get into the ears of people who truly need it. Anything from overcoming addictions to mental health concerns, shoot, even trauma, the Addict to Athlete podcast can help. Jump on our website, addicttoathlete.org. You'll find all of our material in there from backlog podcast to content on how to understand the components and severities of addictions and shoot even our team store. And more importantly right now, our registration for our races. The racing season has now begun. And here coming up, we have two amazing events. First is the No One Left Behind uh, team half marathon. This is you running with two of your friends, being no further than 15 feet apart, and you guys complete this together. It's the journey. It's not about time. It's about the experience. Jump on addict2athlete.org and register. Then, of course, our proxy run. This is Addict to Athlete's official 5K each September for recovery days. This is where you run as proxy for someone that may have lost their battle to addiction. Jump on uh, and register for both. We'd love to see you there. Athletes, I'm excited today. We have a guest that found us through the, the, the ethos of social media and just a little bit of, of uh, reviewing her content and what she's about has really got me excited to have her on. I think that she's a, an amazing uh, individual who has overcome some tremendous adversity in life to, to truly do what we, we talk about often on Addict Athlete, to erase and replace. And she's done an elegant job of, of doing that. We got Katie Hankey on, on with us today. Katie, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. I'm excited to have these athletes know more about you. I want you to introduce yourself and let's jump into a little bit about this journey that you found yourself on, literally turning that mess of addiction into the message of, of sobriety, of change, and of hope. Uh, yeah, Coach Blue, thank you for having me on. Um, uh, let's see, uh, you know, my story of addiction starts way back. Um, I really think it started when I was a kid. Um, it, yeah. it started with food for sure. Uh, and I didn't see it as addictive behaviors back then. It just seemed like when I felt bad, I ate and, mm -hmm. and then I felt better. And I didn't, I didn't have any more reflection beyond that point um, as a child and then as an adolescent and growing older, I still ate for comfort a lot. And, yeah. um, and it just seemed like, like what worked and I didn't question it, you know, I was gaining weight, but it didn't, didn't it seem like a, like a problem to me. I had a very rigid view of addiction. Addiction was definitely a drug, had to be a drug. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be anything else. And, yeah. um, it just never even came into my scope of, of possibility. And exactly. uh, when I, I went to college, uh, to play soccer, I, I got into alcohol a lot and, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just seemed, again, it didn't seem like a problem to me. It seemed like it was just, you know, the party weekends, you know, everyone was having fun. And, um, Makes even sense. though I was, you know, drinking to pass out level mm -hmm. regularly, it's, it seemed it, to me in my mind, it seemed acceptable or I was just telling myself that. Right. Um, right. And so uh, that's really where it started was with the food and then the alcohol. And um, and then I started getting more and more mental health diagnoses. So yeah. over the years, I got I got six total. So, um, man, see, so it's a slow burn, isn't it? And a lot of people don't understand that it doesn't have to just be a brick wall. Also, there's addiction. It, it takes some time for it to set in. 
and, and sometimes we don't we don't recognize that. Now, the question I have for you too is that I know just from looking at some of your your social media that you were an avid athlete as a kid. Like you were involved in a lot. I mean, obviously to go to school to play soccer in in college, you had to have been busy during some adolescent years. Um, how how much did sports play a role in your life, and, and did your family participate with you? Is it kind of like a like a family tradition, or was it just something that you were interested in? No, it was it was a huge part of my life. Um, my, you know, I think that when my dad grew up, he wasn't really permitted to play sports much, and so mm. when he had kids, me and my younger brother, he really wanted us to be able to participate in sports if we wanted yeah. to, and he pushed us to. And I enjoyed it a lot. So the first sport I ever played, um, I can't remember if it was basketball or softball, but I've been playing basketball the longest. And um, I started that when I was like seven. And it was, they would go to every game. My parents would go to every game. Um, And uh, for the longest time, I hated soccer. And my brother loved soccer. And he would beg me to, to go to the local school so he could shoot on me. And I would Mm -hmm. say, I don't want to, this is boring. Soccer's lame. I don't like soccer. And um, eventually I became a goalkeeper, funny enough, because I was so used to trying to get the ball that I ended up actually trying to do that. And then um, I didn't actually start playing soccer until I was like 14, 13 or 14. And, um, but I, you know, I excelled fairly quickly because by the time I was in high school, I got a scholarship to college. So man, I, you know, I really liked it. It, it sports gave me a, a really good outlet for stress. And, uh, my parents were very, very supportive of, of athletics. So, um, in oh. high school, I, I played, um, soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter and track and field in the spring. And then I man. also played soccer all year round on a club team. Good grief. So I was very, very so busy. So you weren't all busy at all. What a what a lazy teenager you were. Oh, holy crap. Yeah. And did you find that it was good though? I mean, did you feel like there were times where you were like super overwhelmed? Because I know that means you had to miss out on some some normal teenage stuff, right? I mean, did you ever feel like you were missing out or did you feel like it filled the void? No, I feel like it filled the void. You know, I beautiful. Looking back, I don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't had athletics. Um <laughs> I never really ate very healthfully. And so mm-hmm. Um, I know that if I hadn't been moving as much as I would, was, I probably would have weighed a lot more than I did and I wouldn't have been as healthy. Gotcha. So um, that's so a good I'm happy point that though, my parents because pushed me that way. You bring up a good point because that, that's like, you know, you have all these, this discipline and, and this regimen and the schedule. Um, was college kind of an awakening for you then? Kind of like, oh man, now I can kind of move and groove at my, at my speed is that kind of what got you out of sync or was it just, you know, what, what do you put your finger on? Like kind of got you out of that, that, that path of like, just, you know, the flow. Um, I think, you know, I had expected, it was expectations I had. I had built up all these expectations in my head that, that mm-hmm. I was going to go to college and I was going to start and I was going to be the starting goalkeeper. And gotcha. I was going to make a whole bunch of new friends. And it was in a town that was like a hundred miles away from where I grew up. So I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And they put all the athletes in one dorm, which I don't think was a very good idea. Um, Get along. Yeah. Yeah. They put us all in one dorm and every weekend was kind of like a party weekend. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any, any close friends there. And my, my family, my parents were breaking up at the time. So I didn't have a lot of support Mm -hmm. at home. And, um, I just started struggling, you know, I started turning inward Mm -hmm 
towards myself and and my default was to yeah. just to find something outside of myself to make myself feel better. And right. the thing I could find was alcohol. I wasn't 21, but if I went to parties, I could access it easily. Yeah. And um so I did that and then I I started missing classes and practices and it just kind of train wrecked from there. Gotcha. How how long did you stay in school before it got too heavy? Did, did you did you bow out early? Yeah, it was only like 3 4 months. So just gotcha. uh, like fall term and then in the beginning of winter before it was like the coaches were like, you, you're, you're kind of train wrecking yourself out of this program. Did you take that? Did you take that in stride? Because I'm like, you know, that mindset's kind of like what can justify this. It's like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Or did you know that they're, they knew what they were talking about? No, I knew that, that I was making mistakes, but I wasn't, it's like, I knew that I wasn't doing well but I wasn't going to own my mistakes yet. It was years before I realized gotcha. that, that I had an equal participation in, in what was happening. Um, for sure. It was always somebody else's fault for a long time. Then can I ask you a super sensitive question? Because I love this concept about coach and player. I mean, coach a lot of people now. Um, I'm, I'm a mental health therapist, but I'm also a you know, coach. Um, people take coach a lot more serious than sometimes than therapists I found. Um, be very, if you can, if you feel, if you feel appropriate, um, did your coaches take the right approach with you? Or do you think looking back, it would have been cool if they would have like maybe taken you under their wing and been like, okay, look, we're going to, we're going to go a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger, a little bit harder so that you see that you're here for a reason. Or did you feel it was kind of like a, I'm, I'm the squeaky will. They didn't have the patience or the time because of, you know, all the other athletes and whatnot. Like, did, did they handle that situation correctly? Looking back to at answer it now. that question, I would say they did not handle it correctly. Um, you know, I think it was hard for them. There was so many girls on the team yeah. and there was so much for them to do. So it would have been really hard for them. They don't, I don't think they were trained in, in addiction or, or any sort of substance use or even for sure, you know, what to do. It was probably just like, you know, don't drink too much and come to practice. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, looking back on it, and I've never been asked that question before, but, uh, you know, I think if there was a tactic like that taken, it would have been helpful to me, but, but it wasn't offered. And I don't really blame them for that. It's just, no, that wasn't a, that wasn't even a, a possibility at the time. It was just wasn't on the radar, huh? You're, you're a problem on the team. You're not working out. You know, there's a billion other girls that want to play. So yeah, you're out, you know, see, that's the hard part because I know, I know now you're a coach too. And I know that that's the path you would take. If you saw someone trying to like slide out or kind of like, you know, hide, so to speak, you'd be like, Hey, come to the front of the class. Right. And I think that's kind of the, the mentality that we have now, but back then I, I can understand that, but it, it's kind of interesting. I always like asking those kind of questions. Cause I'm like, isn't it interesting what could have happened if like, say we would have had a, uh, you know, a, a coach Dean instead of like, like a, a coach Knight, right? Like the, the guy that kicks you off versus the guy that takes a knee and says, hey, well, get your head in the game. What, what's happening? Um, uh, that makes perfect sense. What did you do after that then? I mean, I'm sure you didn't stay 100 miles away. Did you end up going back home? No. Um, well, my parents had moved away from my hometown too, so I couldn't really go oh, back home. So that was hard. Um, and I really, I just fell into like a depression. I just, I felt yeah. like the biggest failure because all my, all my dreams up to that point were to, were to play soccer in college and that didn't work out. And so, so I felt lost. I felt lost and hopeless. And, um, 
just very despondent. And, um, I, uh, I engaged in self-harming behaviors Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, I, I have done it. I did it other times too in my life, but that was one of the first times I did it. And my parents, my dad took me to a therapist instantly, you know, and, and Mm. was very, um, adamant that I get help or, or take something or do something because this was dangerous behavior. And, um, you know, I was going downhill quick. Well, did they, did, I mean, did you even understand it at that point? Because I was going to ask that question and it's, it blows my mind that your dad noticed somehow if you told him or what have you, but like when they're going through their own stuff, I'm sure the last thing you wanted to do was like, Hey, can you guys handle my stuff now too? Because you're like, no, I'm I'm moved out. I'm my own person. Not realizing that we still need our parents. We still need someone to lean on. It's kind of amazing that you either a let your dad in or B he saw it for what it was. Um, was that the right path for you? Um, yes. You know, I, I think so. I, I, mm-hmm. I had moved in with my mom after, after college didn't work out because she was living mm-hmm. in a, <clears throat> a suburb of Portland at the time. And, um, uh-huh. and she was dealing with a lot of stuff. And, and even though I was living with her, she wasn't really there for support in that way. And, and neither was my dad, but, but he was like, this isn't right. You need to get help or something. And so, right. um, I went to uh, a doctor. I, I didn't. I didn't have a therapist. I didn't have a doctor. I didn't have anybody. Yeah. And so, I just yeah. went to somebody and I took a little test on this little device that tells you how depressed or anxious you are after you oh, answer yeah. so many questions. I, I love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then it was like, oh, you're really depressed. Here's here's this medicine. And so, because um, at, at that point I was, I was just so distraught all the time, just constantly crying. I just felt like you know I'm only 18, but I feel like my whole world's falling apart. And yeah. And so I, I started taking this medication. Um, I think it was Prozac and, um, mm-hmm. it didn't really work out. It, it gave me this weird tightness in my throat feeling. And then they switched me to yeah. Paxil and same thing again. And, um, then they switched me to, I believe it was Zoloft after that. Um, I've taken very, mm-hmm. I've taken many different psych meds. So, um, it was Prozac, Paxil, then Zoloft. Man. And I was on Zoloft for a while. Um, you know, it seemed to, it seemed to help. It, it it definitely made the feelings less intense. Right. And so right. Um, that was what I was after at that moment was to not feel mm-hmm. like I wanted to fall off the face of the earth all the time. Exactly. See, and that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's interesting. Listeners, uh, I love what Katie just talked about, too, because that that lump in her throat, too. It's kind of like, you know, it's where our bodies are funny things. Um, we hold stress in, in areas that uh, that kind of like should be indicators at time. And it's kind of like it makes perfect sense that like you had that lump in your throat because you're like, I need to be talking about this stuff. I need to be getting this stuff out. Um, but still, even medication to a certain degree makes you go inward a little bit. How at 18, though, how... I'm curious, you were willing to take medication. So many people I bump into are, are unwilling because of the stigma and everything else. That tells me that you must've been in a pretty rough spot because you're like, I need something because this, this sucks. This isn't good. So I can kind of feel a little bit of that desperation too, of like something needs to give here. So I'm kind of impressed that at 18, you were like, I'll try anything, but like something I need, I need something to help. Yeah. I didn't know anything about, about psych meds much. I didn't, Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, a lot of the really commonly used ones have only been around for 30 
maybe 40 years at the very most. And uh, mm-hmm. so this is back in 19, this is the very beginning of 1999. So this is, mm-hmm. this is like near the beginning of when they really started prescribing them a lot. And so I, yeah. I didn't know anything about them. I just knew that there was this pill that the doctor said will hopefully alleviate symptoms and make me feel better. So I was like, okay, just anything right now. I just, I'm, I'm at a yeah. loss. Mm-hmm. Did it work? Did it, did it get you um, over some rough spots? It, it did help. Um, you know, over the years I went on, I, I went off of Zoloft. I went on to Wellbutrin. I went off for Wellbutrin. Mm-hmm. Then I went on to Effexor. Um, then I ended up at, at one point I was on five different psych meds at once. And wow. um, it, it got to a point where I was, I just felt numb inside. You know, I, yeah. it, I don't even know how they knew what was doing what anymore at that point. Um, they didn't. Yeah, you're right. And it was just like, you know, playing like a chemistry set with my brain. Like I, I just, I don't know, you know, maybe one would be okay, but five different ones at the same time. And I just, I I couldn't really feel anything anymore. You know, I I felt. See, that's the same thing. Numb inside. It's the same thing as that coach, right? I'm like, you're like, the coach didn't know, but like, you know, hey, you got to go. Doctors should know, but they're just like, throw another thing at you. It seems like there's a little bit of a a repetitive situation where people are getting to know you. They're just kind of like, you know, working beside you, so to speak. Does that mean, did it feel like that? Because. Five psych meds at once. You're right. That's a lot. You had to have been going through hell. I'm sorry. You had to have been because you're like, well, you're doing what you're what you're being told in hopes it's going to feel better. Holy cow! No one's listening to you. It was really hard. You know, I I kept getting more and more diagnoses over the years. Um, and and they would be like, well, this is a new medication for this new diagnosis, like th- this new oh. diagnosis. So this one's going to be for that, and this one's for this, and this one's for this other thing you have. And so I was like, oh, okay, well. And I guess that makes sense if, if each one like knows how to treat exactly like I now looking back on, it, I'm like, I don't know how they knew which pill was treating specifically what condition, you know, You're it's not right. like it goes into your brain mm-hmm. and it finds the, the OCD factory in your head and then treats that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's not that, mm-hmm. it's not that exact. And, um, it just seemed like a lot. I, I did go to therapy for a long time. Um, but it, it seemed a, a lot of what was happening was just new prescriptions and new medications mm-hmm. and um, just are, how are you? Are you doing okay? And I'd just be like, yeah, but you know, I, I don't think I was doing okay because I, yeah. I, I couldn't feel anything. Exactly. That wasn't the end game. You, you, you weren't supposed to be numb, right? Feeling numb is only slightly less bad than feeling completely despondent all the time. Um, exactly. In my opinion, in that I don't feel like I want to fall off the face of the earth. I just don't feel which is yeah. also its own kind of help to me. So you're right. That you're was absolutely hard. right. So did you, did you know what you were going to therapy for? And it sounds kind of dumb, but like, you know, well, you're like, well, of course I have to go because I'm, I feel this depression. I feel this other stuff, but you know, is, did anyone get to the source? Because there's a source to all this, right? I mean, you know, this, it's like your body, your mind, and your soul, like, like, like that, like that goalkeeper, it's keeping everything away from what's really behind the net. Right. And so did you, did you kind of know what was driving some of this stuff or was it just all so fast and so hot and so heavy that it's like, it got mixed up with everything you were prescribed going through experiencing, like did therapy have a, have a meaning for you at that time? Um, you know, therapy helped 
on some levels. I, I had one therapist that, in my mind, I've been to two types of therapists. I'm sure there's different types, but mm-hmm. I've found that the ones I've been to fall into two categories. One group would mm-hmm. be where you just kind of talk at them for an hour and they yeah. just say, oh, how yeah. do you feel, blah, 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 off and on. And then the other kind yeah. is where you talk and then they give you feedback as well as giving you homework is what I call it and things to work on oh, during yeah. your week before you see them again. And I find the latter yeah. group more beneficial to me personally, where I can mm-hmm. implement strategies within my week to kind of overcome these cognitive distortions and, and things I, I have in my mind that I do. Whereas just talking to somebody about all my problems for an hour and then leaving, it, sure, it feels great to like vent. That's great. But, but I'm yeah. not learning anything. I'm not bringing any skills yeah. home with me. And so Absolutely. Um, I didn't get to the, a therapist that, that helped to teach me skills for a long time. Um, and then yeah. eventually way down the road, um, I was sent to dialectical behavior therapy, which yeah. was probably the most beneficial therapy I've ever been to. Um, Absolutely. really helped me to understand that I have control over my mind more than I think I do. It's not nothing. Things aren't always just happening to me, you know? And yeah. And that was what was really hard at first. It was always like, why, why are these thoughts happening? Why is this happening? You know? And it, it, it was, if I can find a way to slow my mind down and, and process things, you know, like compartmentalize each thing that's happening, it was a lot easier than just talking to somebody for an hour and leaving without any reflection. With a see you next week. Yeah. And, and a bill. So that's the thing. Snapshot your life. Describe to the listeners a little bit about when, when you finally reached that point where you're like, wait a minute, now I can like gain control over my mind. What was your life like? I mean, how many years post, you know, uh, uh, 18, post you know, college uh, versus what, what was life looking like for you at that point? Because I watched your YouTube video and I was blown away because seeing you now and, and hearing your story so far, people have no idea how deep and dark it got for you. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll be real quick because I could take hours talking yeah. about this. So, um, so <laughs> for sure, I... Uh, Let's see. I, um, you know, I, I met my first husband. I, uh, got married, had three kids and, um, I started gaining weight along the way a lot. Cause I still had that food addiction mm-hmm. that I still wasn't recognizing. I just like to eat is what right. I tell myself, you know, and I would mm-hmm. eat, uh, usually really ultra processed stuff to, to make me feel better, really high carb sugar stuff because it made me made my brain feel better. Chase the dopamine. Right. Mm-hmm. The dopamine. I was always after the dopamine. That was my main problem yep. with every substance I used. And so, um, I, um, <clears throat> I got diagnosed with, uh, fibromyalgia. I had gotten up to, um, 380 pounds and I was, mm. I couldn't walk a block oh. without stopping to rest. Um, it, my body hurt too bad. I was exhausted. Um, my joints hurt all the time and, and my doctor prescribed yeah. me Percocet. And so it felt yeah. like a miracle pill at first. I was so, so happy, right? I was so yeah. relieved to not be in pain all the time. And then um, it, it wasn't enough. It seemed like it wasn't enough. So then she prescribed me morphine on top of it. So then I had Percocet and mm. morphine and I was getting them. Goodness. I was getting them by prescription many a month, but I started taking them 
when I realized that my brain felt better when I took them too, I started taking them yeah. when even when I wasn't in pain. And then I started taking them mm-hmm. because if I didn't, I felt terrible. And so I started going through withdrawals. And so what happened was at the height of the addiction, I was taking 20 Percocet and 10 morphine a day. Um, And I would go through all the pills I had in two weeks. And then I would go through two weeks of withdrawals. And then I would go through two weeks of feeling the way that I wanted my brain to feel. And then two weeks of withdrawals. And this went on for like two years of just up, down, up, down, up, down, where I wasn't even present in my own life. You know, I... I wasn't there for my, I don't remember my kids being little much. I don't remember any of those two oh. years much. It's, it's, it's sad to look back and realize that I was there, but I, but I wasn't. And, um, yeah. uh, right around that, right around that time, I, before I addressed the addiction with the opioids, I mm-hmm. was really suffering with, um, mental illness. I, I, I was doing, I would, I would call it like escapism where I would get involved right. in like books that I liked. And then I would just read for hours and I wouldn't pay attention to anything mm. else. And then I was in my own world. It was almost like a drug as crazy right. as that sounds. Sure. And so I no. started to realize that my life was not living up to the lives of the people in those books. Like these, mm-hmm. these people are having amazing lives and here I am barely, I can't walk a block. I can't, I have to take pills all the time. And and I just, you know, one day I just, I was having a terrible day. I, I, I just, I just felt so awful about everything because I knew that I had a problem with these pills, but I wasn't telling anybody like nobody knew it was as bad as yeah. it was. My, my husband sure. knew I was taking too many, but he didn't know it was that many because I would hide it. It's no. really easy to take pills without anybody knowing. You just have, you know, it's easy. And yeah. so, and I knew that. So I, I used that to my advantage whenever I could. And, um, I, I cut myself really bad, um, on purpose. Uh, one mm-hmm. day when my, my husband had taken the kids to the park, I took a really huge knife and, um, I cut both my arms a lot. And, uh, when wow. he came back there, I was just bleeding everywhere. And, and I, um, and I, I locked myself in the bathroom and I did it more. And he was just like pounding on the door. And, and this was like super traumatic for him to the whole family. Yeah, the yeah. kids are screaming in the hallway. Everybody's just freaking out. And um, they take me away in an ambulance and uh, and I get put into a, a mental part of a hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, when I'm there, I hide and I cut myself again with a plastic knife. Mm. And so then they transfer me to a high security mental facility where there's cameras everywhere um, gotcha. because they said I couldn't be trusted. And so and at that point, I'm still mm. on the opioids. So I'm still getting opioids oh, from them. But I'm not getting as many as I was because they're only like doling them out so often. And so I end up going back to that hospital one more time again, like six months later, because I I cut myself with something or I I felt like I wanted to cut again. And so I went back again for like another week. And um, Hmm. it was just it was a lot of traumatic experiences for me, my ex-husband, our kids, everybody. It was just horrible and that was where they diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder and Hmm. at first i was really relieved that i got diagnosed with this you know i was like oh finally something fits you know i have all these other diagnoses and this one seems like the best one you know as far as like what makes sense for what's wrong with me and um so i'm trying to go fast here so 
So uh, you're fine. I, you're fine. I get out of the hospital and I, I get right back on the on the pill wagon. Right as soon as I can, I mm-hmm. get the pills back again for sure. And um, you know, I start and I'm driving too. You know, I've never admitted this to anybody on the air, but I'm driving with all these mm-hmm. pills in my system. You know, with my kids in the car, I'm I'm doing everything yeah. you shouldn't do while you're taking opioids, especially not that many. Um, Absolutely. And I start having nightmares about killing somebody or my kids or myself, or or I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. Like this isn't, this isn't, I would go to sleep. I would take 10 Percocet and lay down. And then I'd sit up really fast and be like, Oh my God, I I think I might die. I can't do this anymore. It kind of, part of me kind of wanted to die. Like maybe if, if I die, it was meant to be, do you know what I mean? Like that, like I was that on the edge. And so, um, I, one day I just called my doctor's office and I said, I'm abusing the medications you're prescribing me. I can't take them anymore. And I told them all about what everything. What sparked that? What That's like that? a magician showing the tricks. Like what sparked that? Like I you just, just like, I couldn't one do it day, anymore. Like, I kept dialed thinking up? About, about crashing my car and, and I was just so not present. I was always just sitting there watching, watching a movie with my ex-husband and he'd tell me how yeah. Um, we'd be, it'd be a movie I usually like that I'd laugh at and I'm just watching because there's no emotions because I'm not even there. There's just oh, like a blank. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And blank, um, yeah. you know, affect on my whole face. And so. For sure. Uh, one of the hardest things. You done. You had enough and you're like, I'm done. I can't you do pick it anymore. I'm going to kill somebody. You... Yeah. And so I. Holy cow. They cut me off cold turkey, which. Oh. Which was. Good, I suppose, but it was so physically painful. Like stopping morphine yes. when you're taking that many instantly is the worst body aches, the worst headaches, you know, uh, vomiting, diarrhea for, for like a week. Just like the worst yeah. worst feelings in my whole body just just like begging for me to take more. And um, my ex-husband said- How that did you not? How they didn't did give not? them to me. They didn't, I, I didn't know how to get drugs on the street. So I was just getting those from prescriptions. So I just suffered Gosh. through. And he said he had to check on me every few wow. minutes to make sure I was still breathing all day. Cause I was just laying in bed, you know, going through withdrawals. And, um, and then I went into treatment for opioids. I went into, uh, mm. intensive outpatient, which was like three or four nights a week for, uh, mm-hmm. like three or four months. And <clears throat> that went well. You know, I, I, I made it through and, uh, graduated from that and I felt, like a newfound hope that that I was done with addiction because I hadn't really been mm-hmm. that big of a drinker at that time. I would once a year at New Year's, I would get really, really drunk. Um, but mm-hmm. most of the time, if I had anything ever, it would be like a glass of wine once in a great while. Um, but, mm-hmm. but, but not to the extent I eventually went to. And so... Um, right. So without the opiates, that was the next best thing... Right. Well, after the opiates, I, we, we, we left our house. We foreclosed on our house, filed bankruptcy. Things weren't going well financially. And we moved um, Mm -hmm. into a different, to a different city, into a different place. And um, I, you know, I had never had a lot of experience with marijuana at that point, but Mm -hmm. um, I had a neighbor, a new neighbor that really liked it. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, well, you know, it was almost like I forgot all about the opioid problem because to me it was completely yeah. different, right? To me, it was yeah. it was just marijuana. What could it do to me? It exactly. was just a plant. Exactly. And so, mm-hmm. um, I 
I hopped on that bandwagon as quick as I could. And before I knew it, I was sitting out in front of my house, you know, smoking bong loads while my kids were in school, yeah. like literally. And yeah. um, started drinking two bottles of wine a night by myself. My, my husband wasn't even drinking. He was just watching TV while I wow. sat there. Um, and I started being like a really heavy marijuana user, like really heavy. Like whenever I could sneak away to smoke a pipe, a vape pen, a, a bong, anything, I was doing it all day long, all the time. And gotcha. I was still taking all the psych meds. I was still taking all the psych meds. I was taking a nerve pain blocker. I was taking a whole bunch of different medications at the same time, along with yeah. these substances. And um, I, uh, if in, you know, I just I wasn't happy in my in my life because I, I don't know what I expected my ex husband to do. You know, I don't know if I expected mm -hmm. him to save me or what, but I wasn't contributing anything to the relationship or the family, barely. Um, I wasn't working. Yeah. I wasn't cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. I wasn't taking care of the kids very well. And I was just fantasizing about like zero responsibility all the time while I practiced almost zero responsibility in my life. And so right. um, that relationship ended and we had been together for 17 well, years. And it makes sense again, and I'm not I, no no blame on on either here, but again, it's that certain thing of like when you're there and you're going through it and you're experiencing it all, and again, you know, no one's listening, no one's watching to a certain degree. They're just kind of like, well, it's just you, you're here. Uh, I'm telling you, Katie, I'm seeing a pattern of like people just kind of like laying in wait with you, not like again taking the knee, getting down, being like, hey, kid, you're all right. Like we, you know, we need to look at this and the active coaching type stuff. Like it's interesting too, because I mean, you get into those behaviors and it gets repetitive and I'm sure he tried. I'm sure he attempted, but like, you know, he, he, he loved you and he didn't want to cause you any additional stress or pain. And so I get it. It happens quite frequently, but meantime, you're drowning. So when he said, okay, I guess this is it. 17 years is a long time. It was actually you know, me. That's, that's it was a, me that said I wanted to divorce, which is oh, wow, pretty crazy because he was doing all the work, you know, I was kind of along for a free ride at that point. Not, not contributing much to anything. Um, it sounds so bad saying it like that, but it was true. You know, I wasn't, but I, don't I wasn't know. pulling my weight. Again, here's, an, here's another, here's another repetitive thing. Each time you've kind of had to raise your hand too, after this, you know, with the pills, with, you know, with, with the marriage, you know, with, 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 you know, cutting it, all that kind of stuff. You're like, need a little help here. And so it does make sense that you're like, this isn't working. This isn't going to be where I can see myself thriving or even surviving. It takes a ton of courage and I'm glad it came, comes in like these little bursts because if not, who knows where you'd be. So the next, what's so this next chapter? after that, I move out of my own apartment and now I'm getting, um, you know, something I've never mentioned before to anybody is that I was granted disability from the U S government, um, based mm -hmm. on mental illness. And so that took mm -hmm. two years to prove prior to that, prior to my divorce. And so I got a big settlement, like a back pay of money for three or four years mm -hmm. of money I, I would have been getting. And so I got all that money, plus I got child support, plus I got alimony when I moved out. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a job, but I had a lot of money. Um, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I wish I could say I used that money for good. And I saved it and I bought my own house or did something great with it. But, you know, I, I pretty much, I partied and drank it all away. 
And um, I even missed rent payments. I was bringing in so much money and I wasn't using any of it for, for productive purposes. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, when I, when I met my ex-husband, I was 18. So that was in the beginning of 1999. Now it is Mm -hmm. mid 2016 and there's online dating. There's all these apps to date and meet people. And I, that was not even a thing when I dated last. And so now you could just click on somebody's face and meet them in an hour. And I was, this was like all new, like this was, you know, at first it was exciting, you know, wow, there's all these people, all these people just waiting to meet me, you know, and, and how, how great can that be? And, uh, I, I dated a lot. I dated too much. That's all I did. Um, I went on new dates. I went on more dates and I went on more dates and, you know, I, after reflecting on it a lot, I, I went on dates because I hated being by myself. I hated me so much. Right. I hated myself so much that anything I could find to distract me from myself, I did. And it if that sense. meant going on a date and talking to someone I don't even know for two hours and drinking the whole time, well, that's what I'm going to do because so be it. that's mm-hmm. better than sitting alone at home thinking about the terrible things I've done, the mistakes I've made and, and how much I dislike myself. And yeah. so I um, externalized everything about myself, tried to get approval from everybody else. And um, I eventually the the need for for alcohol and drugs, because it got into whatever I could find, I would use pretty much. Right. So um, I don't think I ever turned down a drug um, that I can recall. Um, for sure. And so I, it got to the point where I was just dating for drugs and alcohol. So yeah, I would meet people. I would talk to them online. I would find out what they wanted to do, right? Do they want to go? Usually they mm-hmm. want to go to a bar or something. I'm like, oh, good, good. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I'm there. And then they'll usually pay, right? Yeah, Cause, exactly. Um, I didn't have to pay usually, which was another unfortunate thing probably because if I had to pay for a unfortunate perk, no way I could have mm-hmm. paid for it. So, um, right. I would go meet somebody I don't know. I would, I would drink until they either couldn't afford it anymore or the date was over. Um, right. A lot of the times I would sleep with the person, which I've never admitted mm-hmm. to anybody before, but that happened a lot. Yeah. Um, that actually happened yeah, a it's lot. It's a cycle. And it would yeah, happen. It's a cycle. It makes perfect sense. Sometimes it would happen where I, it was, understood that that was what was going to happen. Like if they were going to buy me dinner and drinks, then I was going to have sex with this person because that was all I had to give them. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, um, I even took money for sex before so that I could Mm -hmm. buy more drugs and alcohol. And so it it got to the point where I, I, that was after I got, because I'd gotten a DUI, which I hadn't talked about yet, but I didn't have a car Mm. I didn't have a job. But I still had my body. So I absolutely started using that to get money and um, and drugs and whatever else I could at that moment. And um, right. You know, uh, another thing I've never told anybody. It's not just living. It's it's survival, right? Well, at the time, it felt like survival. Like I needed the alcohol because the addiction had gotten so bad that I would wake up in the night sweating and shaking if I didn't drink, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I was literally shaking. Like I was having the, the, yeah. the deep, the, the, whatever it's called. The tremors. The tremors. Mm-hmm. Yes. The and DTs. I had gotten a job mm-hmm. and at work, I would start shaking halfway through the day. 
I would shake and yeah. people knew at work what was wrong. They knew something was wrong with me and they, they knew it was alcohol because we would talk about stuff. And, and so I would yeah. drive home on my lunch breaks and have a couple drinks and then drive back in the middle mm-hmm. of work. Like I would drink and I'm not, just, not that, not that there's nothing wrong with, not that beer's okay to drink and drive on, but I would go home and have like a large glass, two thirds full of vodka and just enough cranberry juice yeah. so that it was pink. And I would drink, yeah. you know, two yeah. of those and then drive back. And then finally I felt normal. You know, finally I could work without shaking yeah. all day. And, um, it, it, heartbreaking. it, it got so bad that, that I, I got fired from that job. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I'm happy about now, you know, one of For the things sure. that helped to wake me up, it didn't at that time though. Um, and then I got a different job and, uh, working on customer accounts, which isn't a good idea if you're drinking a lot. And uh, I was making yeah, so many mistakes. Might be a that, problem. Yeah, they sent me home. Mm-hmm. They like wrote me up and sent me home one day. And um, I was really sad about it. You know, I was like, God, I'm going to lose this job. And I'm making more than I was at the other job. And um, so I started drinking again. And I drank for mm-hmm. from like noon, probably to like 6pm in the middle of the summer. And I, I drove to my friend's house. Or I tried to. Um, I yeah. didn't even think of it, think about anything. I just got in my car and left and I, I crashed right. my car in a ditch, uh, totally. Oh. Uh, I don't know how I didn't hurt any people or myself. Mm-hmm. I hit my head a little, but that's it. Or any property yeah. other than my car. Um, right. and, um, over an hour after the accident, my blood alcohol level was still 0.254. My gosh, which Gage. is wow. very high. Um, the Washington limit that is says something. 0.08. It was very high. And, yeah. um, and it, that still wasn't enough to wake me up. You know, I, it, mm. you know, what wasn't, I didn't hurt anybody. So who cares? You know, I was still in this denial yeah. victimhood mode. And after right. that, I, I didn't have a car. So it was a lot harder to meet people and go on dates, but people will still come to your house, you know? And so I, mm-hmm. you know, one of the hardest things I think, that I went through that I've never talked about is um, Mm -hmm. I invited somebody over and they took me out to dinner and I thought, Oh good. Mm -hmm. I get to go to dinner with this guy. He seems, he seems okay. I didn't know anything about him. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember their name. I don't even really remember what they look like because I had been drinking and smoking weed before they got there. And then Mm -hmm. we went out to dinner. And the weird thing was, is that at dinner only I ate, he just watched me eat. And I was like, this is weird. Like at least weird. pretend that you want to yeah. eat with me, you know? And so uh-huh. we went back to my house and I, I just started getting like weird vibes. Like I, I just didn't, even though I had exchanged sex for alcohol so many times, I just, there was always this like fun about it, you know, like it was supposed to be fun. It wasn't just like Absolutely. you show up, watch me eat and then take what you want. Like exactly. it was weird to me. And so I was like, I don't want to do this. I want you to leave. And and he mm-hmm. didn't want to leave. And so that was the night I got raped. And that was really oh. hard for me um, because yeah. I didn't I didn't physically fight that much because this right. dude was huge. He was like 6'5 and and just gigantic. And there was no way I could have fought fought him off. There was I, no yeah. I tried, oh, but I just Katie. I just he just took over. I couldn't I couldn't get him off of me in, in time. And yeah. And he didn't even say anything. He just left my house and I never heard from him again. And I was too oh, messed yeah. up to even remember who 
it was or their name. I still don't know, you know, and I, I've always felt like, well, that's what you get. That's what I always told myself. You're such a, you're such a train wreck. Yeah. Like, what do you think's going to happen when you invite oh. strangers in your house? You deserve that shit. Sorry. You deserve mm. that stuff. Yeah, and no, you're I, fine. You're fine. And I, I think that there are positions you probably shouldn't put yourself in, but I still right. don't think anyone should ever get raped. And so, um, I agree that that was hard because I've never told anybody that except for my oh. husband now. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I felt that's the reality of it too, Katie. That's the reality because like the listeners, like if you're, if you're hearing this, she's speaking real truth. And, and I hate to say this, but many of you out there listening have probably had the same experience. And it is, it's something that's like, I didn't realize I'd gone that far down that rabbit hole. Um, and, and I can only imagine how scary and how, like, I mean, who do you call the cops? Well, they're, they're not going to do anything because you know, you were, you were intoxicated. And so it's just as much your fault as that. Exactly. And and I'm with you hundred percent. And and so why guys, we need to pull our heads out of our butts because we need to step up for these kind of situations and be, be men. I'm telling you. So I, I hear you and I appreciate your vulnerability because it, 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 it's the classic, the greater the struggle, the more glorious the triumph. And it sounds like you're almost there too. Like, sorry, continue though. Please continue. Yeah. I told, you know, I, I, when I, well, when I told that guy I wanted him to leave, he said, well, I'm going to get what I came for. And I was Mm. just like, then I realized what was happening. Like, wow, this was really a bad idea, you know? And so, um, but of course, hindsight's 2020. Um, after that happened, I, I had to serve two days in jail. So after I got arrested, they released me. And then part Mm -hmm. of the sentencing was, it was the first offense I'd ever incurred in anything. The first arrest, the first anything, but, um, different states have different laws. And in Washington, DUIs are, well, they're always frowned upon anywhere. But in Washington, they're very right. strict on them. Um, I got five years probation. Mm-hmm. I got one year of mandatory treatment. I got one year of an interlock wow. device, which is what you blow into to start on your car. I got a bunch of fines and um, I had to serve 48 hours in jail. And so wow, the 48 hours was was not fun. Um, I was afraid oh, they were God. never going to let me out. Even that sounds ridiculous, but... Um, no, makes sense. I was afraid of that. And uh, that that's something I never want to go back into again. It was, you have to get completely mm-hmm. naked and they have to, you have to bend over and show them everything. And they have to yeah, make sure they don't that make you're it not, pleasant. It's not pleasant. And, you know, and for good reason, but, um, right. I went into treatment. Is that the, is that the mug shot that you have on your yeah. video on your, on your page? Is that's that a mug one? Shot. I was, yeah, you my face is red. I was probably drinking happy. that day too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, I was really unhappy to be there. Um, even though I knew I had to be there. And uh, I didn't start treatment until probably five or six months after that mugshot was taken still. And so um, postponing. Yeah. yeah. And so I I looked for treatment centers and there was ones that cost a lot of money and there was all these different ones. And then there was one, you know, I had met my husband now, his name's Paul. I had met him um, before I get to the treatment center. I decided to go on one more internet date. Uh, I don't know why. 
You know, I don't know. Brave. I'd never gotten any good results. I mean, there were some people yeah. I met. I can't say I never met anybody good. Okay. I, there were some right. good people, but it didn't matter because I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't ready to meet. You weren't there. Good. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. um, he wanted to meet in the middle of the day at a park. And I was like, this is completely different than anybody else. This, this is not how it goes. Yeah. And I was mm -hmm. like, this isn't, we're not going to drink or anything. And he's like, well, we can have tea. And I was like, tea. All right. I suppose, tea. you know, and, um, you know, <laughs> fast forward several months and I, I move in with him and, um, he's, he's great. He's different than anybody I've ever met. He said when he met me, he could see something in me that he didn't think I saw in myself that ah. there was some sort of spark there that, that I was fun, that there was something left in me that wasn't just a train wreck of a person. Cause that's really what I was, you know I mean? As wow. mean and harsh as that sounds, I, I really was I a train wreck that. of a person at that moment. I was living on borrowed time and, um, for sure. So we found a treatment center near where I was living and it, uh, it's an organization called uh, Native American Rehabilitation Association, or NARA. Um, mm. I think they're nationwide, mm. but I don't know for sure. Mm. And I had intensive outpatient therapy. I had to go four days a week, I think. And I had to do random UAs. So I had to call every weekday. And if my random oh, yeah. animal came up, I had to go in and pee in a cup. And uh, <laughs> someone has to watch you pee. You don't just get a pee and get what your animal. Uh, at first, I was an otter. And they go by animals nice. uh, based on the severity of your level. So I think the otter was at <laughs> oh, least brilliant. two days a week, two or three days a week, <laughs> randomly. Nice. And so sometimes you might have to test two days in a row. And if you're not there on that day, yeah. you still have to come into the center to pee. And so right. Um, right. it was a lot of accountability, which I needed. I needed it really badly. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I graduated to a bluebird which was the, was Brilliant. like once a week, random. Um, uh -huh. And, you know, I was supposed to be there for a year and um, I did really well in the program and I got, I graduated in nine months. Um, huh. And most of the people that were in there were there for about three months, three or four months, depending on their problems. Um, right. But I was there a long time because I... Yeah was court ordered, but I'm stuff. very happy I was mm -hmm. because I think if I was only yeah. there for two or three months, I, I'm not sure that would have been enough for me to wake me up. And, You're right. you know, and I, I, another thing that really helped me is I got a job at a grocery store, um, as a housekeeper and I did a lot of walking. Like I walked 20,000 steps mm. cleaning the store and, um, nice. And it was, I got to see people in all the departments. I made friends. I had like a social life at work, at least, you know, I got to be, be this kind of like on the up and up all the time. And, and I was able to, yeah. to work it so that I could go to treatment and then go straight to work like four days a week or five days a week. I was at work and, um, I mean, my life was very scheduled and regimented, which is yeah. what I needed. I needed structure Absolutely. very, very badly. Um, a little bit of discipline. Yeah. I needed the discipline. I didn't have any discipline in almost anything. Um, actually mm -hmm. nothing. And, um, yeah, Paul was very, he ate very, very well. Like, um, he paid attention to what he ate. And, um, and so that influenced me to be, to eat more health, healthy foods. And so I, you know, I cut out gluten and I was limiting mm -hmm. my dairy and moving a lot more and, 
um, just making really big strides in, in my self-confidence and having a structure with my life and, and in recovery and, 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 and taking care of myself. Cause I had completely forgotten how to take care of myself. I was basically just living moment mm-hmm. to moment until it was, it was always, it was always like one disaster to the next one catastrophe to the next all day long, every day for years. Right. And Man. that was very difficult. And so now life was finally starting to slow down a little, but it was very structured. Yeah. And, um, and that was good. That was good to, to finally feel like I, I could control something, you know, and, and I was controlling myself, yeah. which is something I'd never controlled. You know, I'd always mm-hmm. kind of been this, I've always kind of been this really like passionate person, like really, um, Makes sense. loud, passionate, really requiring a lot of stimulation or, um, I have a lot of energy so I can wake up early yeah. and go to bed late and wake up early and still feel fine. And I've met a lot of people that I hear you. are addicts or that have been addicts that mm-hmm. are like that, that they have this like internal yep. en- energy, this fire that just keeps burning. But then you channel it into the wrong thing and it's I'm just a bomb, you know? Right there with you. Absolutely. You're spot on. Mm-hmm. But so does that, does that bring you to the point of like, because I'm curious, like you had a therapist, you had a counselor, you had a coach, someone that said, now, now let's look at this. I, I, now I, I see this great pendulum shift, Katie. I, I hear all these people that are like, you know, talking at you, not really, not really there to kind of be like, what's going on. And then the pendulum is starting to swing to a different way where you get Paul, where he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm in this for you. Like, and you know, I'm caring about you. And then all of a sudden you get these, these, you know, these counselors, these other therapists, but it sounds like there's a few more people that kind of stepped into your world, you know, that was like, look a little bit deeper, you know, like what was that? Because you've made significant change and you're growing right now in your story, but like what kind of got you to like open your eyes to have that? Like, Oh my gosh, like you mean I can become this, I can do that. And you now have people that are listening to you. That's had to be a, an interesting paradigm shift for you. Yeah. Well, um, it was. And, um, you know, Paul had been a, a personal trainer and a wellness coach himself. Um, before he met me, he wasn't any longer when I, when I met him. Um, but Mm -hmm. he had experience in that, in that field. And so he said, you know, you have an amazing story. Like you have been through a lot and now you're overcoming it. And, and you've always been into athletics and, and this seems like it might be a good fit for you to try to channel your experience into, being some sort of wellness coach, personal trainer. And, and I was like, okay, well, I want to add on addiction coach and mental health coach because Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't do this without that. Like that part is so close to my heart that I, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't leave behind. I don't know how to say, I can't leave behind my people. Like I can't leave behind the people that, that were me that needed help, that needed me. Like I need to be the person I needed 20 years ago. Like yeah. I need to be that person for people today. And that's what drives me to keep, to keep doing this is that I know there's people out there. Sorry, I'm getting teary eyed. I know there's people out there it. that, I love it, that have it within themselves, but they just don't know it. 
They don't know yeah. that their experiences and the pain they've been through can be channeled into something positive. And if, if it can't, then there's, there's no point to go through all that pain. Then if you're going to go through that pain Agreed. and you're not going to use it to better yourself or someone else. Then it was all for mm -hmm. not. You have to at least help yourself, if not others. And I find I that if I'm helping other people, it keeps me accountable to my own goals because the type of person I am, if I'm not constantly checking my goals and where I want to be, I will slide back into something. You know, I haven't, Absolutely. but I, I might, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't, you could. I don't mm -hmm. want to say that it won't ever happen. And so I have to constantly yeah. put in, build in ways to keep myself accountable and keep myself in an upward trajectory towards, towards what success looks like for me. And for me, success yeah. is that when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, I know that I put a message out into the world to try to help other people. And I, you know, stayed strong in my convictions to, to stay clean and sober in my life because that's what works for me. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah. I feel like giving back to other people is the only way I can stay that course. And I think that's why a lot of 12 step programs have acts of service built into their steps. You know, I, mm -hmm. um, I don't have anything against 12 step programs, but I don't find that they were very effective for me. Um, um I, I met plenty you, of great speaking people. my language. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I thought that about mm. you too. I, I've met plenty mm. of wonderful people at, at meetings, but I just, me too. it's very, it's when I go, way. it's a stagnant feeling and I don't like it. I don't like the feeling yeah. um, that I get. I like the more positivity of, of, of where can I go next? Okay. I've done this. Now what next? Growth and change. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Growth and yeah. change. I want to move up. I want to help others. And that has to be a huge part of what I do. And so when I, you know, Paul and I had talked and he had said, well, what if we made some YouTube videos? And I was mm -hmm. like, make videos. Like I was terrified. Like it. You're like, you're like me on camera. Are you so kidding? Many takes, I don't, yeah. The videos I've put out the very beginning, the first ones, very first one I ever put out. We filmed it in a local gym and we had to film it when uh -huh. nobody was around. And we must've tried yeah. 20 times, 30 times. And I memorized that script section by section, which was so hard. So I have a whole new <laughs> found respect is. for like actors and people that memorize stuff. Cause this was mm -hmm. my own story and I couldn't memorize it. And so, um, yeah, I started putting out those videos and, and I, just hoping to, to someone would see the messages and, and maybe it would help them when they needed it. And so that right. I could look at them and be like, wow, this used to be me. And this is me now. Because, you know, I used to have diagnoses of, you know, fibromyalgia and degenerative disc disease and chronic pain and six different mental yeah. health diagnoses. And I was yep. 380 pounds and I couldn't walk anywhere. And now I'm running. Now I'm lifting weights. Now I'm helping other people overcome their problems. And I have to be able to see that. I can't just think it. I have to yeah. see it to, to keep solidifying it in my mind. And create it in your own world. Absolutely. But that's the thing is as I think a lot of people don't realize this, Katie, and, and that's all those things that you were diagnosed with and labeled with, you know, some of them were because of the medical health, maybe the weight, maybe the addictions, all these other things. The funny thing about it is um, we got to be careful as clinicians and, and when, when we diagnose this stuff, because 
those labels, even the term addict, I, I hate it. I don't call my athletes addicts. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're athletes or they're champions. Right. And so it's like, I get why we need to like know what's going on so you can have an idea, but like you were getting stuff thrown at you so much, you know, that you had all these labels. Now you are, you're a coach, you are, uh, you know, you're a warrior, you know, you're, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're all these other attributes. Um, does it feel like night and day to you? Does it feel like that old lifestyle? It was like a whole different person because that's how it was for me. I'm like, I feel like such a, like a huge shift that I'm like, it's almost like, you know, blue, you know, prior, you know, uh, you know 22 years old to now blue 45 years old. It's like this huge kind of like, there's two lives there. It's a crazy thing to look back at it. Do you feel that way? Like, wow, I've kind of made a shift and come a long way here. I do. I feel Sometimes it's very surreal feeling. It almost feels like a different life, like a different person. Um, mm -hmm. And and sometimes I mourn that. Like I mourn yeah. that I, you know, destroyed a relationship with someone else and lost time with my children and committed crimes and, and, and abused my body mm -hmm. and other people and did all these terrible things. And... Um, and experienced all this physical and, and mental pain and trauma. And it, it seems like a complete, like you said, a completely different life, like a completely different person. And now I'm this person. And it, it is hard to look back and be like, wow, that was me. Because it doesn't seem like it was me. But, but then, but then yeah, I but then have, what you, just you know, said, then I think about the it. way I think. And a lot of the things I've learned over the years is I get into thought patterns and, and, like I've used the words cognitive distortions in the past. And mm -hmm. sometimes I have like poor mental habits and I can identify that that's the way I used to be. That was me. Yep. That's like the old Katie or whatever talking to mm -hmm. me, you know, like you know, just, you're not good enough. Just give up or, or sometimes I'll do something and it will kind of give me the creeps. Like it'll remind me of yeah. like, I used to sit Ooh, and watch TV yeah. for hours like out, like all day uh -huh. long and eat while watching TV. And so now I don't do that anymore. I watch right. once in a while a select program on like some sort of paid service. And if I mm -hmm. sit there for too long, I actually creep myself out because I, I can't sit and not move anymore because it's too familiar. I, it's like, too mm -hmm. familiar. Exactly. It's too familiar. Yep. If I start, eating the wrong kinds of foods, it's too familiar. I start to feel like I'm sliding yeah. back and I just, I have to be you on don't, you're, all you're not the going time. there again. Yep. Yeah. You're not willing to go there again. Like, I'm not, I've, I've had I'm not that. willing to be that, to be that again. Cause it was, it was so painful to be that large and, and you know, to, I just, I, I really feel for people that, that are struggling that much with their physical health um, and their mental health. Yeah. It, to get out of the shower and, and not be able to get dressed without getting sweaty again is what I experienced. And yeah. I know others do. And it, it's yeah. just, it's very painful on, on all levels to, to, to suffer that way. And it's, it's, it's incredible because uh, hearing you, see, seeing you watching your stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away because um, no one knows the hell that you experience more than you. And so I can sit here as a, as an outsider looking in and think, well, of course it was easy. I mean, look at you now, look at everything that you have. It's like, no, it was hard to get here. And, and it kind of still is like, you've got to be, you got to be up at dawn. You've got to be doing the things that you want to do for something of greater value. So it's like, I get it. It's not ever going to be easy, 
But I look at the a few points in your life and I'm just like blown away and it happened in my life and it happened to yours. These people that we bring in that see us for who we authentically are, not for what we've been doing. That to me is the most amazing thing. I just got done recording a podcast with my other guys, uh, Max Hall and Brock Bevel called the Agents of Recovery. We're talking about you know, answering questions from, from viewers. And one of them was, I feel like a hot mess. Am I ever going to have a relationship? Is anybody going to want a damaged person like me? And the answer is yes. It, it, I mean, are you allowing someone like him in, like Paul in, and being like, what's his game? What's his angle? And then to find out that he's being genuine, I have such admiration for, for people like that. My wife Marissa's that way. It sounds like Paul's that way. It is way cool when I call them the muggles, the non-using folk, integrate into our lives. And we are like, you, you accept me for who I am, you know, the good and the bad, and it's okay. And they're like, yeah, we're going to create something good together. I'm blown away by that. How important was him in your life to get to where you are today? It was just, it was an integral part of my life. He was um, probably the most important person I've met, at least in the last 10 years. I mean, that yeah. that really helped me to see me. And, um, I, you know, I, I get the old thought patterns popping into my head of, of this self-doubt, no confidence, low self-esteem voice in my head. When, yeah. when, if we get in an argument or something and, and he says something and, and we're working through something and I say, yeah, but you shouldn't have to, to work with me like that. You should be able to find somebody that doesn't yeah. have these problems. And like, that's me like Ooh, pushing yeah. them away. That's like the old pattern yeah. of me pushing someone away and telling them, telling them that I know what they should and shouldn't have to do and that you should just save yourself from me. And his response? And his response His is? response is, why don't you let me decide what <laughs> I think is good for me? And that's that's a ridiculous point anyway because I'm choosing to be here with you. And that's yeah. just your old pattern of pushing away because I've done that a lot where I, it's easier yeah. to push away than to let someone in. To trust someone 100%. is is terrifying to me. Um, Absolutely. It's for some reason, trusting myself is no problem, even though I've never led myself the right way, at least not in the past, uh -huh. but trusting someone else is even, is even worse. You know, um, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. And so being able to trust him is exciting and, and very, it makes me very happy and, and, and have hope. But at the same time, it's, it's scary because it's, yeah, it's not something I've done in a long, long time. And, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I think that's incredible. And that's, I mean, Paul, I, I don't know you, but, but hats off to you, brother. I think it's awesome that you found someone that kind of, you know, had the same heartbeat and rhythm as you. Um, it makes or breaks people like us because, again, we don't think we deserve that kind of a relationship. And look what happens. You have a picture on your website, or the video at least, <clears throat> that I was like, that says it all. And I believe it's you dressed as Wonder Woman. How much do you feel like a flippin' superhero and like Wonder Woman? Because I'm like, that is a huge metaphor for where you've been and what you've done to go through all of that chaos. And then to like accept, you know, it's, it's our resistance to the what is that causes most of our troubles. And you stop resisting. You're like, all right, I guess I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. And it's, it's a flippin' superhero. That's a pretty powerful metaphor to me. Is it to you? I'm curious. Or you're just like, well, it's a costume. But it, it, to me, it resonated more of like, that's who you authentically are. No, I, lives. you know, when I put that on, I, Paul and I were talking about what we were going to be for Halloween. And 
was like, why don't you be Wonder Woman? You know, you're a wonder, you are a Wonder Woman. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, like I'm Paul. just, like I'm just not using drugs and alcohol that. right now. That's, that's it. It's not, not a Wonder Woman. You know, there's lots of people like that. And I, I oversimplify things because it, yeah. I have a fear of sounding arrogant, you know, like it's easier yeah. for me to sound for myself to sound like self-deprecating than to sound confident. And so, mm. um, you know, when I first put it on, I was like, Oh, this doesn't, this actually kind of fits, you know, this, this will be okay. Yeah, and then like, hey. mm-hmm. One of the things that sold me on that costume is after I put it on, we went to a target store, I think. And there was a little girl mm-hmm. in the parking lot and she was like, wonder woman, can I get my picture with oh, you? She was man. like four or something. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the cutest thing ever. So I took a this picture with her. And, um, you know, putting that costume on and pretending I'm Wonder Woman is, it does feel good. You know, it feels. It's not, it's not pretending, Katie. You are. I mean, that's the thing, you. right? I mean, knock it off. Yeah, knock it off. You are. <laughs> that is you. That's what I saw it in your face. And I'm like, she, she, she believes in herself. And I'm thinking you, you are, you're a Wonder Woman and you're saving lives. You saved your own. And I know that there's probably, you know, some sensitive stuff with your own children and stuff, but they'll see that their mom is Wonder Woman too. All the stuff she's overcome, they'll see it in what you're doing. And so you're not pretending you flip an R. Yeah. One of the, well, one of the things that, that helps, helps to keep me from using anything is mm-hmm. um, something I used to think about a lot. In that I would, you know, my kids would would have some sort of um, meltdown or emotional reaction, and I, you know, you, mm-hmm. you just tell them just get over it, you know. But as an yeah. adult, it'd be like, well, when I'm when I'm done with work, I'm so stressed out, I'm going to go home and have a drink. I'm going to do. Th-. Kids mm-hmm. don't even have that option. Kids don't they go don't home. I mean, hopefully mm-hmm. not. They don't go home and you know smoke a joint or have a drink or whatever to to, to relax. They're stuck with their head. That's what they have, and I'm yeah. like. Here I am telling my kids to deal with their emotions while I'm checking out every couple hours. I said, if that isn't just so just hypocritical and and I'm not even, (laughs) I'm not even being responsible about it if that's a thing. And I I just thought that keeps me clean and sober more than anything is seeing them struggle and knowing that they're coping with it all in their head with what they have right now. And that's all they have. And I want to be, their biggest champion and the biggest supporter of them. And I can do that by kind of throwing my towel in that same ring with them and being like, okay, I'm here with you. Yeah. Like we're all here right now. I've I'm completely present. I'm mm-hmm. completely clear of mind. What's going on with you? Talk to me. Spot on. Spot on. I love it. I love it. See, I told you this, this time goes by super fast. You're going to have to, I mean, you have to promise to come back on again because I know we're going to have tons of questions. I know it. I know the listeners are going to really bond with your story. Well, let me know. And I'm I'll, curious I'll, though. I'll figure out a good time. I think we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Because here, here's the, here's the question though. Like how do people get a hold of you? What do you, what social medias do you have? What do, what do you have that people can connect with you? Because I really think that your message is going to resonate deeply with some, some of our athletes, specifically some of our females who really need um, a, a little bit of, of hope that their, their, their pursuits of sobriety, that they're, they're letting go of some of the stuff that, that kept them trapped is going to come in, in some way, shape or form as a beacon of light instead of what they perceive as darkness. So what social medias, how do people get in contact with you? Um, well, I have, there's a few different ways. I have a website and that is katiehankywellness.com. So it's just my name with the word wellness and then .com. And yeah. I'm on Instagram. 
And that is also Katie Hankey Wellness, all one word. And Perfect. I am on Facebook. On Facebook, I'm just as Katie Hankey. And then I also run a group on, or not a group, a page on Facebook called Alpha Females Northwest. And awesome. our logo is kind of a, a play on words. It's um, a bunch of different words that describe what I would think would be like a confident alpha female, like confidence, you know, Love strength, it. all these different words. And in the begin in the middle, it says AF. Right, like you're confident AF. AF, and everybody knows what AF means. I love it, but it's AF Northwest. That is cool. And we meet once a month, um, and we it's it's really a wellness and empowerment group for women. Anyone who wants to work on anything, you don't have to be clean and sober. You don't have to be any fit into any box to come to the, the group. Um, if you want to improve awesome. anything, you show up, and so I've got that. lots of stuff to work on. Everyone's coming. Wants to. Some people want help with, with food. Some people want to, you know, um, drink less or, or be more social or, or yeah. get, get more fit. So every, every meeting we have something to eat. Usually, uh, people will bring something or I will make a main dish and people will bring appetizers and we will talk wow. about, we'll do like a check-in. We'll talk about how are, how we've been since last time, any challenges we've had. And then we'll do crosstalk where people will like, well, I think it'd be yeah. really good to help you with this and this. And then at the end, we'll do some sort of fitness thing. Like we'll go on a walk, we'll lift weights, we'll do um, arm wrestling because I'm I'm an arm wrestler. So I, exactly. Yeah. So there's so um, much. There's so much to you. Yeah. In, in in my weight class, I'm number one in Oregon. So um, there's different. There's usually two Holy weight crap. classes for women. There's like under 150 and over mm -hmm. 150. So I'm over 150, 150 pounds. I mean. And so I, I haven't been arm wrestling that long, but I, I really enjoy it. And um, so I'm hoping to get stronger that way too. That is, that is the coolest. And so listeners, again, follow, follow what she's saying and we'll have her back on as a guest. I know because this is gonna resonate with so many people. I appreciate you being willing to do this. Uh, you know, and, and athletes, uh, she, she mingles around on the Addict Athlete pages too. So, so you'll see her. So jump on, get, get some com communication going by reaching out. She's, uh, she's very open and willing. So thank you, Katie, for being part of this. And, and again, shout out to Paul. I don't know him, but like that's just a man of my own heart who just like sees the good and, and can inspire people just by being present. I love that. So thank him as well for taking some time away from you. Um, but listeners, follow some of the stuff she's saying. Every hard part, uh, you know, that we climb, every these mountains of pain and chaos and craziness, um, they make us stronger for the next. And pretty soon, you know, nothing will ever compare to what you've already battled. And so, those climbs that you've been on in the past, they just make way for a better, better, stronger, I guess, emotional, mental attitude for what's coming down the pipeline. It makes you stronger. Don't give up. I want to thank everyone for downloading, sharing, and subscribing. Oh, well, you, you better tell us about that. I've seen some of your YouTube videos, so I know. What is it? Um, the Real Slim Katie. That's <laughs> that's the name of my YouTube. You do have a way with words. Yeah. I dig it. That's 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 not easy to forget. I dig it. I think that might we'll that one might have been Paul's off. idea actually. The Real Slim Katie. Paul the wise man. I like yeah, it. Yeah, that's way it. cool. That's way cool. We'll put all these links in the description below. And athletes, as always, until next time, please go turn that mess into a message.